Grace to you and peace from God the Father and from him who has atoned for our sins, who declares us pardoned, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Throughout this Lenten season, we've been following a, a theme, the road to redemption. We've been considering the amazing rituals and people and foreshadowings that we find in the Old Testament, and we see how they are then fulfilled in the New Testament, and in particular, by Christ. Tonight, we want to consider uh, an event, a festival, that some have called the Old Testament Good Friday. The Jews would have called it Yom Kippur. It was the Day of Atonement. We're going to see how this Day of Atonement for the Israelites really points God's people ahead to Jesus and to the events that we have heard about already tonight, the events of Good Friday, of how God would atone and pardon his people. And so tonight we are traveling the road to redemption. We're going to hear how, how we go from pardon to pardon as we consider the Day of Atonement and how we see that day fulfilled on Good Friday. Let me share with you our Old Testament uh, sermon text. It's from Leviticus chapter 16, describing to us what God wanted done on that Day of Atonement. Leviticus 16, verses 15 through 22. He, Aaron, the high priest, shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering of the people. He is to bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he had done with the blood of the bull. He is to sprinkle it on the atonement seat and in front of the atonement seat. He shall make atonement for the sanctuary to cleanse it from the uncleanness of the Israelites and from their rebellions and all their sins. This is what he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells in the midst of Israel's uncleanness. When he enters to make atonement in the sanctuary, no other person may be in the tent of meeting until he has come out. In this way, he shall make atonement for himself and his household, as well as for the entire assembly of Israel. He shall then come out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He is to take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and smear it all around the horns of the altar. With his finger, he is to sprinkle some of the blood upon it seven times. In this way, he is to purify it and set it apart from the uncleanness of the Israelites. When he has finished making atonement to cleanse the sanctuary, the tent of meeting, and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And then Aaron shall lay his two hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the guilt of the people of Israel and all their rebellions and all their sins. He is to put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness in the custody of an appointed man. So the goat will carry all their guilt on itself to a remote, desolate place, and the man will send the goat away into the wilderness. And we pray, Assure us, O Lord, of your pardon. We trust in our Lord Jesus' sacrifice to atone for our sins. Amen. You recall how the Israelites had come out of Egypt, and they had just pitched their tents 
They made camp around Mount Sinai, and there God came down upon the mountain, and God was demonstrating his mighty, fearsome power with smoke and with lightning, with a trumpet blasts and with thunder. And then God, he spoke out loud so all of the Israelites could hear, and he gave them the Ten Commandments. We're told then after that Moses went up Mount Sinai, He entered into God's presence in order to receive God's laws that that he wanted his people to carry out so they could function as a society and as a nation. And he also went up there to receive instructions on how God wanted his people to carry out their worship life. But then do you remember what happened after Moses came down from Mount Sinai? He was only away for 40 days, but these people... These people who had seen and experienced God's power firsthand. These were people who were led with that power out of Egypt. Think of the plagues. Think of the crossing of the Red Sea. God had been miraculously providing for them the whole time. And yet, what does Moses find when he returns to camp? He finds these people all gathered around and worshiping an idol that they had made. They had gathered up all their gold, and Moses' own brother, Aaron, of all people, creates this golden calf, a sacred cow, and the people are in the process of worshiping it as Moses enters into camp. No wonder Moses takes the tablets of stone that God had given to him, that God had inscribed with his own finger, the Ten Commandments, and he smashes them on the ground. After all, the people had already completely annihilated the very first thing that was written on those stone tablets. You shall have no other gods. And here they were, already bowing down before a false god of their own creation. God was furious. Moses was furious. This was bad. The people had messed up majorly. As Moses would later plainly admit to God, the people have sinned a great sin. Now, we might be tempted to scoff at these Israelites. How crazy these people to so quickly turn away from God. After seeing firsthand all of God's power, knowing firsthand his his amazing deliverance, But dear friends, who are we to judge? Don't you and I do the same thing? We've been given the Ten Commandments. We know them. God has provided for you and me in miraculous ways. He's given us everything that we have. How graciously he's provided for everything needed for our body and life. And yet we too fall away every day. We make our own golden calves. We worship our own sacred cows. Aren't there times in our lives where we want to be like the rest of the world around us, to do what we want to do, to look like them, even though those things that they are doing are in complete opposition to what God wants? How often do we let our priorities get mixed up? How often do we end up breaking the first commandment? What about those times where you have allowed work to come before God? 
or your busy schedule to come before God, or your hobby, or your fun, or maybe your family or friends come before God. You are in just as much trouble as these Israelites. I am too. You and I, we should be consumed by God's anger and wrath. We should be doomed. These words that Moses speaks on behalf of the Israelites, they they also speak for us. We have sinned a great sin against you, O God. And there's nothing that you and I could ever do to repay them. It leaves us only able to do what Moses does, to go before God and plead with God for his mercy, for his grace, to receive his pardon. After Moses re-enters the camp and he finds the people and he deals with that issue, he then goes back up Mount Sinai. He goes back before God and he pleads with God for his pardon, to pardon the iniquity and the sin of the people. And God agrees to this. And according to the Hebrew tradition, we're told that God then, on the very day that Moses then descended down from Mount Sinai, the second time, after another 40 days, he comes down from the mountain, and that was the very first day of atonement that God instituted. That God instituted in order to assure his people of their pardon, of the fact that he would cover their sins, that he would give them forgiveness. And this was a festival that God designed for his repentant people so that they would receive his grace. So on that day of atonement, as we heard in our text, the high priest, he would, he would first of all have to go and he would sacrifice a bull. And he would take the blood of that bull and he would go into the holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was. And he would take the blood of that bull and he would sprinkle it upon the cover of the Ark of the Covenant, which was known as the atonement seat. He would take that blood and he would make that sacrifice, first of all, for himself and his household. It would serve as a substitute for the high priest. His life would be spared, especially as he's going before God in this holy place. And it would be spared because the lifeblood of another creature was poured out for him. Then God designed it so that the priest would go back out and he would make another sacrifice, another bloody sacrifice. He would sacrifice a goat and take the blood of the goat and go do the same thing. He would be sprinkling the blood of that goat on behalf of the people now upon that atonement seat, the cover of the Ark of the Covenant. And while he sprinkled that blood upon the atonement seat, the Ark of the Covenant, he would pray, Lord, forgive the sins of your people, which is what God did. What a beautiful picture we see here in this sacrifice. A beautiful picture, an example that God designs for his people to see exactly how it is that he forgives sin. The high priest takes blood and he sprinkles it on the atonement cover of the ark. Now we're told that hovering above that ark of the covenant would have been a cloud. 
And that was the presence of God in the midst of his people, the Israelites, there in that holy place. Meanwhile, inside of that Ark of the Covenant would have been the tablets of stone, the two remade tablets of stone would have been there within the ark, the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments which accused and convicted the people of their sinfulness that showed them that they deserved to be condemned. But when the high priest then took that blood and he sprinkled it upon the ark, what was it that God would see when he would look down upon that ark and upon the law? Well, he saw the blood of a sacrifice covering the sins of the people. But what was it that God was really looking at on that day of atonement as he was declaring pardon for his people? The book of Hebrews points out that it, it wasn't the, the blood of bulls and goats that brought forgiveness. Not all the blood of beasts could wash away the stain. But Christ, his blood, takes all sins away. When God would look down upon that atonement seat, he would see the blood that would later be poured out on Good Friday. He would see the holy, precious, innocent, righteous blood of his own son, Jesus. And this would fill God with mercy and grace, with forgiveness and pardon. And he would see the blood of Christ who is the high priest, who, as the book of Hebrews explains, the high priest who sacrificed for sins once and for all when he offered himself and his own blood. Dear friends, Good Friday today is really our day of atonement. Our high priest, Christ Jesus, He pours out his blood to now cover your sins and mine. His blood covers the sins of the whole world. It makes atonement for us all. As John writes in 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, watching an innocent victim suffer, that can be traumatizing, can't it? Imagine even the families and the children of the Old Testament, the Israelites, as they would go and they would have to witness these bloody sacrifices. It was no light thing. It was serious. And it was serious by God's design. Sin is serious. It's not easy to cover sin. In fact, it takes something incredibly precious and important. It takes One and only one thing, and that's the precious blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, the people of the Old Testament who would have been celebrating the Day of Atonement, they didn't know or see Jesus like we now today get to know and see Jesus. But they understood the point that God was here making. God was pointing them ahead to the atoning blood that would come from the Messiah, The blood of an innocent victim that would cover them and would cover their great sins. After all, that's what atone really means. It means to cover, to be covered. And that's what God would do on that Old Testament Day of Atonement. And that's what he would completely, fully do on that New Testament Day of Atonement 
when Christ was on the cross pouring his blood out for us. God covers all who now turn to him. God covers all of the sins of those who turn to him with repentant hearts, seeking to be covered by the blood of Christ's sacrifice. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for for pouring out your blood to atone for us, to cover us. There's also another part of of the Day of Atonement that's described in our text. It's a part that would take place then outside, in the presence of all the people. After the high priest would go and he'd sprinkle all of this, this blood on the ark and on the altar, he would come out and he would take his blood-covered hands and he would place those hands upon the head of a live goat. And he would, in the presence and hearing of all the people, he would confess over the goat all of the wickedness, all of the sins and rebellion of the Israelites, everything they had done wrong. And then the whole assembly would berate that goat as it was then led out of town, led out of camp, far out into the wilderness, never to return again. It was the scapegoat designed by God, this picture designed by God to assure his Old Testament people that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Our Lord Jesus, he certainly fulfills that bloody sacrifice that we already talked about. He also fulfills this picture that we see of the scapegoat. Our crimson sins... Our crimson stains of sin, all of those times where we failed to put God first, all of those times where we bowed down to our own sacred cows, we confess them and we transfer those sins onto him as our substitute and he carries it away from us and he pays the penalty of it for us. And that means you and I, we now stand as those who are covered. We are atoned by the blood of Christ. Our sins, they have been removed from us. They have been carried away from you and from me. Jesus has gone to the cross. He suffered for them all. And so God now proclaims to his people on this greater day of atonement that you have full pardon of your sins because Jesus Christ has paid for them all. Jesus' work for our forgiveness, it's been carried out. He led a holy, perfect life for you. Never once did he get his priorities mixed up. Never once did he bow to any sacred cow. He fulfilled God's law perfectly for us in our place. He suffered and died. There upon the cross, his blood was poured out to cover our sinfulness. He is our substitute. He is the one who atones for us. He's the one who brings us God's pardon. And he brings that pardon to us with power, as we'll hear about Sunday morning, as we see him standing victorious over death and the grave as well. Just as God designed the rituals and festivals of this Day of Atonement, in order that his people might be able to receive and know of their atonement and to have God's assurance of his pardon. God has also designed for you and for me things in which deliver that which deliver his atonement and pardon to us still today. 
And this is, of course, the means of grace. How blessed you and I are that we now today have God's pardon shared with us in holy baptism. When you are baptized, you are covered in the blood of Jesus' death. You are washed clean of your sins. As we come forward and get to receive the Lord's Supper, as we'll do here this evening, we receive Jesus' own body and blood, which assures us, which delivers to us from God himself the unbreakable promise that he forgives us. He pardons you and me. We have his precious word. It's why we gather here in this place to hear it every week. A message that Jesus' blood has been poured out for you and for me. That we have been saved from our great sins. Today, dear friends, we look back down the road to redemption. We look back at the, the day of atonement. And we see and we stand in wonderment at how God has fulfilled that day of atonement on Good Friday. We, you and I, we now stand pardoned by God. We are atoned, our sins covered because of our Lord Jesus, because of what he did on Good Friday. All glory be to him. Amen.